I am the intern pastor here at Connection, and I just want to welcome you into our family and into our just family time. Uh, if you want to flip into your Bibles, we'll be in uh, John chapter 20 here in a little bit. But last week, we talked about our pride. I got to speak on how I struggle with pride and how how that pride stops us from being how God, what God wants us to be and holding us back from where He wants us to go. This week, I want to talk a little bit more about some things I struggle with. And that's comparing. How easy is it for us to compare our lives to each other? How easy is it to flip open social media, so your Facebook, you got Twitter, man, we can compare our, our lives in 140 characters or less. And then, or, or Instagram, where, where the, there's just a picture that pops up with a little caption saying, oh, I did this. How easy is it to truly compare our lives to what someone else is doing? catch myself doing that all the time. Opening up, oh, so, so-and-so is off on another trip. I wish I could do that. Uh, so-and-so just bought a new side-by-side. I mean, I would love to have a new side-by-side. The easiest thing to do is compare, and especially in our society. It's made it easier than ever before. The fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. How easy... How I compare my relationship with my wife all the time. I see somebody, another couple, they're off do, having a trip, or, oh man, they look like they're having just a great time all the time. Always posting pictures of where they are, or what they're doing, and I'm like, man, they never have any problems. I wish I had that. I wish I had that perfect marriage, right? But that's their highlight reel. That's not what's actually their life. That's not what's actually going on all the time. They might have a great life, but they have problems too, just like the rest of us. Just like me. That leads me to your first blank. You probably got handed this as you came in the door today. If you want to open up to the middle page, there is some blanks to fill out. First blank is where comparison begins, contentment ends. How true is this? I catch myself on this, and especially when I was preparing this, I'm like, man, I didn't really think about that until like I put it on paper. Man, I might have a great marriage. And I do have a great marriage. I have a great wife. I have a great kid. But how often do I lose sight of that? By comparing it to what my neighbors are, how my neighbor's lives are. Or how my best friend's life is. I have a great job. I have a great life. I have great friends. But how, there's times when I pull open Facebook and I go, and there's 
top top post. There's a bunch of my friends tagged all at the same spot. Right? They're all they're all out to eat together, and I'm like, man, where's my invite? Right? Like how? Like why am I not there with them? I'm having a, I'm at home. I'm having a great time with my wife, and having and being part like just having a great time with my kid, and all of a sudden that's gone. Just like that. Because I see that I have friends that are out to eat and I wasn't invited. My my happiness was all spoiled by just comparing somebody else's what somebody else was doing. So if in 2 Corinthians verse 10 and 12 it's wrong in your worship handout. I sent it out wrong. It says 1 Corinthians. It's actually 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. It says, But they were only comparing themselves to with each other, using themselves as a standard of measurement. How ignorant. How ignorant is... Paul is talking here to the Corinthians and telling them, why are you comparing, it, comparing yourself to somebody else? Why are you comparing yourself to other people, other humans. Because, guess what guys? None of us are perfect. And he's saying, how ignorant is it to, for us to compare ourselves to your neighbor? Then you ask, well, what are we supposed to compare ourselves to? Well, there's this one guy that was perfect. And he came, he lived, he died, and he rose again for us. And that his name is Jesus. And that should be our standard of measurement. That should be what we should be comparing ourselves to. When we compare ourselves to other people, we lose. There's no winning. It doesn't matter if you're doing better than them or you're doing worse than them. You still lose. Because if I compare myself to somebody and be like, man, I have a great life. They, but their life is kind of poor right now, you know, but you know, I'm doing pretty good. Guess what? I'm not honoring God still. Whether I'm doing good, comparing myself to and I look better, or if I look worse than someone, I'm not honoring God because guess what? I'm still either looking down on them or I'm looking down on me. And that's not what God wants from us. Leads me to your second blank in your worship handout. Comparing makes you either superior or inferior. Neither honors God. So, whether that kind of links to your pride there, right? If I see myself as doing better in life, I'm still not honoring God. I'm doing so, so all these great things. Right? And I feel like I'm doing better than this other person or this other church or this other youth group or whatever I'm doing. That immediately takes that away. Alright, now we're going to be in John chapter 20. And we're going to start in verse 1. Since early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved. She said, They have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So, 
Mary turns to Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved. And that would be John. John's the one writing this book. And throughout this whole book, he never references himself as John. It, it was a sign of humility back then when he was writing it, is that he didn't want to put himself as higher than some, as Jesus. He didn't want to put himself as his name. But, guess what? He was the one, it kind of seems arrogant in the same way, right? Is, well, now he's claiming that he's the one that Jesus loved. He was like the most important and when I, and I, I kind of read that, I'm like, man, Peter's probably a little upset, and we'll find out that why they're like more competitive. Because they get, they're competitive all throughout the Scripture, through their discipleship. But John was the one that Jesus loved, because John was the one that was there when Jesus was crucified. He was the one that Jesus looked down on and said, and gave the responsibility of taking care of his mother after he was crucified. So he had this major responsibility and that's why he was the one that Jesus loved. Or he refers to himself as that way. It goes on in verse 3, Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. So... John, he's really humble and he's talking and whatnot, but I feel like he was really competitive too. He sits there, so they, out, they both started towards the tomb, right? And we'll see here that you see, you see there that John reached the tomb first, then Simon Peter. And I imagine them both like hearing this and like, I'll race you. Kind of turn to each other and just, they kind of just slowly start and then all of a sudden, they're both in a full-on sprint. And John beats him. And he says this. But, not to be deceived, John is also was a much younger man than what Peter was. Peter was uh, upper 40s, 50-ish area, and John was in his early 20s at this point. So, in this case, it's not really that big of a surprise that John beat him there. I mean, he has a lot more energy still. Because on, he stooped in, he, meaning John, stooped in and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there. But he didn't go in. So, John is the guy that kind of sits back and makes sure and kind of thinks things through before he actually does anything. He's not the one that just, you tell me, go, I'm just going to jump. He thinks that, well, what's the best way to do this? What's the best way to look at this? And well, he looks in, he sees, oh man, the tomb's actually empty, the linens are lying there. What could this mean? Like, they unwrapped his, he's probably thinking, man, they unwrapped his body, they unwrapped Jesus' body and picked him up and took him out somewhere. This, and he's like, this is not normal. Somebody that was stealing his body probably wouldn't have just wanted to carry the guy that was very gruesomely killed. So he was not clean when he was put in there. Verse 6 it says, Simon Peter arrived and went inside, and he also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. So Peter is the opposite of John here, and he just jumps on in. He got there, he didn't even wait, he just went, went straight into the tomb. He's like, I want to see this. I want to feel it. I want to put my hands near it. I want to make sure he's not there. 
goes on verse 7 while the cloth had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings then the disciple who had reached the tomb first went in and he saw and believed so the head covering was separate from what wrapped the body is when they when they wrapped the body the head covering was completely separate completely different piece of cloth this would be like why it was put off to the side is probably because when Jesus rose he unwrapped his head off the around and it and is laid it off to the side away from what his where the rest of his clothes or the linen wrappings were but when the disciple who had reached the tomb and went in and he saw and believed so believed here I kind of dug in and kind of looked at what this word actually meant and you look back at the Greek of the original writing I can't pronounce the word what it is but the word that they is to understand so the disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and understood so he understood what happened he looks in he, this is the point where I think John realized hey Jesus isn't dead he's back alive and he understood. He understood what Jesus was talking about when they, when he was teaching him, teaching them all, and saying, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna die for you, or I'm gonna, I'm gonna raise back." And he understood that, hey, Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one that we, we are waiting for. And I think this is, this is more like us. This is what we, we would understand. Is that man? We didn't have to see Jesus to be to understand that He was alive. Like we as Christians believe that He was because we we can't see it. We're not there. That's two thousand years ago. Most of the first Christians believed that He was the Savior because they got to see Him. He appeared to but loads of people, and they got to see Him, and and they believed. He just saw the wrappings and understood. Peter missed this completely at this point. Peter had been in some bad situations lately around that because Jesus had died and he denied him three different times, right? And Peter was trying to get there and trying to get so he could find Jesus and find and hopefully he was alive so he could be forgiven because people after person after person came up to him and was like hey aren't you with Jesus and he's like no I don't know him I don't know him how often do I do that how am I so much like Peter that I just deny Christ around certain people just to fit in so we'll go on into we're going to jump over to chapter 21 and John verse 3 says Simon Peter said I'm going fishing we'll come to they all said speaking as the disciples the rest of the disciples said oh we'll come too so they went out on a boat but they caught nothing all night at dawn Jesus was standing on the beach but the disciple couldn't see who, who he was 
He called out, Fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. So they're sitting out there on the boat. They're not that far away because we'll, we'll see that here in a minute. And they couldn't recognize Jesus. He's standing out there. They didn't even recognize his voice. But he's calling out to them, Have you caught any fish? It's probably something a little weird for them that they're just, you know, yeah, no, we haven't caught any fish. Goes on verse 6. Then he said, Throw out your net on the right side, right hand side of the boat. You'll get some. So they did. And they couldn't haul the net because there were so many fish in it. Verse 7. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. So John immediately knew. This is not the first time Jesus appeared to them. This is the third time that they got to see Jesus since he's been alive. But as soon as that net started catching fish, John knew. He's like, man, that's, that's something that Jesus would do. It's something that Jesus has the power over. Was, he's like, we're good fish, fishermen. That's what we used to do as a living. Like, and we couldn't catch any fish all night. And this guy on the shore just yells at us. There's something different about him. He has to be the Lord. And he turns to Peter knowing that Peter is probably struggling with even still believing that Christ is who he says he is. Even though he's already seen him. But he hasn't got to come and ask for forgiveness again because Peter's probably still worried that he's not going to be accepted because he denied Jesus. It goes on, When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped it for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. He didn't wait. He just jumped. He went, he grabbed his tunic because he, I mean, they were working, it's probably hot, they didn't want to wear it wear the robes while they're working he threw it on there and jumped in the water didn't even wait for for them to row to the boat to the shore I think he had something that he wanted to prove he wanted to prove to Jesus that hey I love you with all my heart I'm just jumping in I'm coming in I'm not waiting because on verse 8 the other stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore for they were only about a hundred yards from the shore. But like I said, Peter didn't wait any time. They weren't even that far and he didn't, but he didn't stay. He wanted to be close to Jesus as quick as possible. I'm a lot like Peter. I'm easy to to get there I have something to prove to Jesus all the time because I, I mess up all the time I feel like sometimes I need to get to him as quick as possible because you know if I serve him I do all this everything I can for the church and I can do everything for Jesus then, then maybe he'll forgive me right because my, my works will save me my works will, will get me there but that's not the case Without grace, we can't get there. Our works won't ever be enough. A lot of times I find myself comparing 
my, how I run my youth our youth group with how other people are running running their youth group. Sometimes I think I'm doing really good. Sometimes I think I'm doing really bad. I look, well, look, these guys are doing something a little different, having trips all the time. Maybe I should do that. Maybe, maybe that will help me out with my youth if I do that. And I get sidetracked. And I'm like, oh, I'll go over here and try to do this for a little while. And when that doesn't work, I'm looking around. I'm like, well, what is, what is this guy doing over here? Maybe I can try and run his and try this way. But that's not what God wants me to do. God has me a point to run a group that maybe not be big in numbers, but big in heart. Big in leaders. Big, because those leaders could go to the numbers. But without my little without the little leaders that they they can't grow up to be a part of something else. You know, be part of something bigger than me. But I catch myself always comparing when God wants me to run my own race. Go we're going to jump down to verse fifteen in John twenty one. After breakfast Jesus asked Simon Peter Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter replied, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs. Put your name in there where Simon, where Jesus says, Simon, son of John. Colton, do you love me more than these? Colton, do you love me more than trying to get your get numbers or do you love me more than you love your family do you love me more than you love being in the spotlight and feed my sheep run your race in 16 Jesus repeated the question Simon son of John do you love me Peter says, yes, Lord. You know I love you. Colton, do you love me? Lord, why do you keep asking me this? Of course I love you. Then run your race. Feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep, Jesus said. The third time he asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time and he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Peter is hurt, you know. He's, he's missing the point. He's missing what Jesus is doing here. I do, I do this. I miss what God wants from me and he keeps having to Hit me on the head sometimes. Hey, do you love me? Then follow me. Feed my sheep. Run your race that I've put you in. Verse 18, it goes on. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, 
You will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Seems a little weird. But he's talking when you were still when you weren't a Christian, you got to do whatever you wanted. Before I called you to be a leader, to be one of my my children, you got to do whatever you wanted. But this is not what I want from you. I want you to go. I want you to go where you're needed. I want you to go and smell like sheep. What does that mean? That I need stink? Do I need? Do I need to just go run around with the farm animals all the time and just smell like them? Shepherds in this time smelt like the sheep because they lived with the sheep. They got to be, they knew the sheep inside and out and they knew when one was missing. The sheep followed the shepherd not because that he was a, a human and they were taller and he had a staff and walked around. It's because they followed him because they smelt like him. So do you smell like the people that you're around? Do you... Are you part, do you love the people that you're around? Do you love, do you know them? Do you know what, what drives them? Do you know what makes them grow? Do you know what makes them feel good? Do you know what, the, what hurts they have? Do the people around you trust you enough to follow you? Being a Christian is not easy. It's not clean. It's, it's about getting dirty and being a part of other people's lives and growing with them. Goes on in verse 19. Jesus said this to, to let him know what kind of death he would, would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Peter turned around and saw behind them the disciples Jesus loved. So Peter's there. Jesus just told him what he wanted him to do and how how he was going to like serve him. And all he was worried about was John that was behind him. Tell me that they weren't competitive. Tell me that Peter wasn't a little jealous of John because he was worried about what John was going to have to do what John compared to what he had to do. It goes on, it says, the one who leaned over during, to Jesus during the supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? Jesus asked, what about him, Lord? How often do I turn around and look at what's behind me instead of what's in front of me? How often do I worry about what somebody else is doing instead of what I'm doing? How do I lose my focus when I should be chasing after God and not looking to my left, to my right, or behind me and seeing what other people are doing? Jesus is challenging Peter here to send him out and run his race. And Jesus is, and Peter is missing it. Goes on 22. Jesus replied, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. 
Jesus is telling him not to worry about what John has to do. John has his own race to run. You have your own race to run. Don't worry about what the next person is supposed to do. Worry about what God wants you to do. Jesus is challenging Peter to follow him till death and live free from comparison. Living free from the next guy, what the next guy did, or how, how well the, next, the other guy's life is and how good he does. Because it doesn't matter. All that matters is what you are running and what your race is and how, how you are going to glorify God. So don't compare your success to some, or your failures to somebody else's success or failures. Because as long as you're falling after God, you're going, to, you're going to do what He wants you to do. And you're going to get the results that He wants. Get the last blank in your worship handout. Who or what is going to define my worth? Who's going to define how good I am? Or how bad I am? Or how where I'm going to mess up? Or where I'm doing great at? Like Paul said in 2 Corinthians, don't compare yourself to somebody, to someone else. Compare yourself to Jesus. Compare. We're all going to fall short still. But as long as we continue to strive, we'll get there. I'm going to pray and then we can be dismissed. Then Heavenly Father, I just pray that we can follow you without comparing ourselves to somebody else. Lord, I pray that in our lives that we can just glorify you and run our race. Lord, I pray that we can truly trust in you and we become leaders and we care about everybody that's around us. Lord, I just pray that we can grow your kingdom. In your name, amen.
Every fear.